0: Building those relationships and getting them to go forth and, um, you know, allocate for you helps me to be able to, you know, not to uh, think I have to be at every meeting, every place at one time. I, I just can't do it by myself. So, so I, I'm a bridge builder. I engage you know and delegate. Um, that's how I keep my sanity.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Marsha Calloway, Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer at San Hezendro Health. We discuss the impact of DEI in healthcare and the steps healthcare organisations can take to achieve a diverse and inclusive workforce that advances health equity. Marsha also reflects on her proudest moments so far, leading DEI, the challenges she's faced and how she overcame them as always before jumping into the video make sure to hit that subscribe button turn on your notification bell and follow on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode that being said let's jump in hi Marsha hello thanks for joining me on the show today thank you for having me it's a it's my pleasure Lovely. So let's kick things off. Tell the listeners a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today.
0: Okay. Well, I think my name is Marcia Calloway, but I go by MJ. Um, my pronouns are she and her. And uh, a little bit about me. I currently live in San Diego, California, um, but I was born and raised um, in a small town in West Virginia. Not many people would uh, uh, know that about me, because I'm definitely a city girl, but I was. Uh, I attended Springfield College. I have a undergrad degree in human services and a grad degree in organizational management and uh, leadership. So my professional journey into diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging started I was working for the YMCA. Um, I was um, um, the, the director of procurement there and uh, my, I started out in uh, um, um, creating one of their first supplier diversity programs. And so that's how my engagement in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging began. Making sure, again, a community organization, making sure we were engaging with the community and helping the community out because the community were our customers. Um, and then also I'll say my, um, journey started, my personal diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging journey started in my first year of college. So growing up in a, um, small town in West Virginia, as I mentioned, predominantly white town, my first year in college was a little bit, um, surprising, a little bit, um, 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 Uh, I'll say impactful because, um, in a way, um, you know, um, um, it was a little hard to uh, fit in uh, culturally because my background and culture um, was coming from a small town in West Virginia. Um, I so much wanted to be and fit in with, you know, the other black girls who, you know, came from the city, the urban life. And um, not so much in the beginning. Um, they automatically knew, hey, um, something's wrong here. <laughs> She's not. She doesn't talk like us. She doesn't dress like us. And um, I was really um, um, hurt by that because I was thinking, well, we all we look alike, but yes, we looked alike, but culturally we were different. So had to um, overcome that. Um, And I I think that is one of the reasons why I do the work that I do today um, because of that experience and culture and and wanting to belong. Um, Helping people um, belong in organizations, I guess, stem from that. So, um, And then um, as I grew into um, this journey on DEIB, I got to attend many seminars and webinars um, to help you know my understanding and my education in diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. And I went to a, um, I went to a I guess it was a conference and um, early on and a woman got up and um, she started talking. About, I wish I, I wish I could remember this woman's name because I would go back and thank her today, but she got up and started talking about diversity and inclusion in a way that I had never heard anyone talk publicly before. She started talking about microaggressions and being underestimated. And all the things that I was thinking you know, at work and experiencing was just coming to the forefront and tears running down my face because I was like, this lady is up there talking about everything that I've been experiencing that I've just been you know, closeted and she's talking on the stage in front of all these hundreds of people. And I was like, if she can do that, so can I. And that's what started really my journey into diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Oh,
1: lovely. So um, what difference do you see diversity, equity, inclusion making to the healthcare sector?
0: Um, well, in my position, um, I see that in healthcare, you know, everyone is busy. Um, we have um, uh, San Isidro Health, where I work. Um, we have over thirty uh, locations, and you know, the positions, the PAs. Uh, everyone is busy, so getting uh, time on their calendars, getting time to educate them is difficult. <laughs> um, so that's the biggest thing I see, or I have experienced in the uh, little over two years that I've been with St. Ysidral Health, but that is uh, different from, from other places that I've worked.
1: And so how do you, how do you tackle that? <laughs>
0: what have you found is, is an effective way? <laughs> Absolutely. So I think, um, what I've been doing is, you know, everyone, as we're doing now, um, everything is video. So e-learning is the, is really the best way to tackle that, uh, that problem. Um, so in the healthcare profession, there are learnings that they have to do every year to stay accredited for our physicians and uh, as an organization, um, cause we are federally funded. So, um, making, uh, adding to that list of things, of areas that need to get, that uh, they need to be educated on every, you know, every year annually, um, I want to add uh, DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, e-learnings to that. So, working on getting um, a vendor that is, um, can uh, provide e-learnings, but um at you know different levels because within the organization we have different levels um, of of our our workforce that have a good understanding of um, DEIB. So that's currently what I'm working on. But that's how I've found is going to be the best way to educate our staff. And then we have internal trainers to help us. Um, educate our staff in regards to diversity equity inclusion and belonging so it's it's a all hands on deck type of strategy to get in front of people and get into their meetings when we can Um, because them coming and sitting down for a two-hour training is not going to happen
1: Mm, no I can only imagine and so for you what would you say are The three key steps that an organization, particularly where it's it's healthcare, um, as you said, because there's so everyone is busy, everyone and and finding time for things is difficult. So what would you say overall are three key steps that um, healthcare organizations in particular can take that are really going to allow them to advance their diversity, equity, inclusion um, goals? I
0: think one of the most important things is make sure your organization um, is living up to its mission and values. Um, it's, it's um, you know, they're not just hanging on the walls. Um, they are getting practice in the halls. Um, so no misalignment there. Um, I think three I can think of is, you know, data data. And metrics. So, I know you've heard this before because I've watched your podcast. And, you know, metrics, data is so important, especially in, um, in this arena. Um, so, um, and culture, I think, is another one, and resources. So, to just break those down a little bit, you know, data and metrics, what you uh, capture is important, and how you report it is also important. Um, And in this industry, you know, we capture gender, age, race, ethnicity. Those are the typical things that we capture. But some less typical things around diversity uh, demographics would be educational level, um, English as a second language, sexual orientation, compensation level, those type of things that aren't usually captured. Maybe like parent uh, caregiver. Um, those things that, that can be helpful in, in, in diversity, equity, inclusion, and making sure things are equitable um, that, you know, some organizations aren't capturing. And when it comes to um, equity and inclusion demographics, I think most organizations capture like the candidate poll, the internal pool, interview diversity, how many people they interview of color, um, how many candidates of color they offer, um, a position to, um, those type of things we can get HR to capture. But some of the less typical things to capture is, you know, who is getting recognized in the, um, organization, you know, like, um, employee of the month or, or quarter year, however they do it. And then who is, um, getting public representation, like on social media or in articles, or me like doing this podcast with you. Who are the people in the organization that are given getting those um, opportunities, and who who's being asked to you know speak in public or speak at on webinars or speak at uh, events for the organization? Those are some things to capture also that may not be you know, typical things to capture. Um, when it comes to belonging, I think, um, you know, the typical things are the employees um, satisfaction survey that, you know, um, most organizations do every year or every other year to try to, you know, um, you know, determine the engagement of the organization. Um, but thinking about a, a less typical, like benefit usage, who's using the benefits, um, um, PTO usage, uh, parent, uh, you know, parental league, your um, ERG memberships, employee resource groups, are those groups being taken advantage of? What's their memberships like? Um, and even organization event participation. You know, who's coming to the events? Who's invited? Those type of things. Are we mm, tracking, measuring, or understanding what those look like? So, In regards to, you know, metrics, the typical metrics are great, but you have to think as, you know, people say outside of the box, I say think as the box doesn't exist. Think of other metrics that you can measure that that gain your understanding of where your workforce is in regards to DEIB. I think also everyone is, um, you know, a lot of organizations are, you know, really working on recruitment and retention. Um, And that's an area that, uh, you asked for three, that's an area that I think really is a pinch point in not just uh, my organization or healthcare, but, you know, organizations around the world. Uh, So your talent acquisitions teams really have to be educated on, what is going on within your organization in regards to DEID. So they should understand and be able to talk about, you know, the organization demographics that I just mentioned, Uh, the organization diversity statement. If you have one, the, the, the diversity goals, um, the employee resource group information, do you have a diversity council? What are your, what are their goals? So when they speak to, you know, hopeful employees um, or candidates, they can talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and answer any questions that they may have, or finding that that's an area that, um, you know, um, for me, when I was interviewing, um, those, I I would ask questions, and sometimes they wouldn't be able to answer me, Um, or they would give a general answer, so I really wouldn't Get um, an understanding of you know the culture of the organization. So um, and then are employees being treated fairly? Um, are you encouraging, as we talked about earlier, um, training and development? It's so important um, when you're providing your metrics. You know, um, has the organization um, a workforce been educated? Are they going to be? held responsible for that education in certain situations. So you kind of have that to fall back on. And organization culture, that's the third thing that I was thinking of. Um, um, I think, you know, organization culture reflects your organization leadership. Uh, People create barriers, not organization. What you permit that goes on in your organization, I think you promote. So policies and practices that have been um, put in place, you know, early on in the organization, is that still carried on throughout the many years of the organization? Is it, you know, um, something that needs to be um, looked at and changed? For example, are your um, our managers and directors and leaders are they talent porters, as I say, um, instead of talent shepherds? Um, are they understanding how to grow their staff and um, how to uh, make sure that they are educating them and pushing them forward to their next position in the organization? And are we recognizing our staff? Is recognition like the cheapest retention or one of the cheaper retention strategies? Are we, um, um, uh, we just put in place um, when I started uh, a couple years ago where we recognize our staff. Monthly In the first year we did um, our physicians, you know, since we've been through this pandemic, uh, uh, our physicians are just wore out. Our nurses, our staff are just wore out. So we recognize Mm -hmm. our physicians in regards to um, Black History Month, Women's History Month. Um, So just that um, alone makes people happy. It it also builds relationships because um, having... um, information we ask them you know where they grew up why did they get into community health a little bit about their background so that helps the uh, other uh, staff you know kind of understand uh, them a little bit better um, and maybe even find out that hey we were born in the same state or the same city or we all, we like to play tennis on the weekends or something like that yeah so you know but, The larger you get as an organization, it's difficult to build those relationships. So that is something else we put in place. So all of those things, you know, uh, working together, um, (laughs) help promote diversity, inclusion and belonging. Mm, Uh, One more thing I wanted to uh, uh, mention is also your benefits, you know, within your organization. Um, I know um, I heard, I went to a uh, conference not too long ago and they were talking about benefits and something they brought up that I thought was really interesting is, is tuition reimbursement. Now, is that equitable for everyone? Does everyone have the means to maybe pay for, go back to school or go to school and pay for classes and then wait to get reimbursed? Yeah. probably not so is, is that equitable benefits same-sex benefits you know i i i know that some organizations have them but is that equitable for um some your employees um pet benefits <laughs> that can help me out a lot yeah <laughs> um and then you know some uh, they also talked about some concierge benefits like child care backup when, you know, some staff, sometimes um, they have to call out because the the daycare is closed or something like that. So did they have a backup child care benefit or do they provide for some of the parents, their children are the first time going to college Um, and, you know, all the forms and everything online that you have to complete. Mm -hmm. Is there, um, can we provide a tutoring for that for our employees? Would that help out? Uh, we have also um, our courageous conversations that we started um, also um, went about two and a half years ago, which um, has been an excellent way for our executive team to travel to our centers. And um, they, we uh, convene the leadership of that center staff and the executive team, our CEO, our senior vice president of operations. They are there listening to the staff. And, you know, how it usually works is the staff has, you know, a director and the director has the vice president. It kind of goes up the ladder. Yeah. But here we have the executive team listening to them right there in front of them, sitting at the table so they can tell the executive team, talk to them and help them understand what's going great at their center, what they're doing well, how they're, um, how they're uh, community has changed since this three years or more pandemic and then areas for improvement and how to improve so those are some things that we put in place to help help with culture
1: oh fantastic
0: I know that's a lot but
1: No, I mean, and I think it just goes to show that there is a lot to do when it comes to um, creating these diverse, equitable and inclusive environments. Um, It's not a a simple task by all means, but I think you've given us um, some really good uh, tools and and, and insight into some of the pieces of work that you're doing that seems to be working, um, which is great. So what in, in saying that, what's been your kind of
0: proudest moment so far? Uh, the two years that I've been here, I've accomplished a lot. I've put an in inclusion council in place. And we've added uh, an, an additional ERG, employee resource group. Uh, as I talked about the courageous conversations, um, the National Heritage Month spotlights, um, as I told you about earlier. Uh, but one of the things that I think is really exciting that's going on now is the internal medicine residency program we have here. So we received a grant from the American Medical Association called Accelerating Change in the Medical Education um, Innovation um, Grant Program. And um, what what I found from talking to our residents, and I, I talked to them about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and what they learned at medical school about diversity of, you know, your patients and the cultural background and they said very little very little so all of that education that our physicians are getting very little of it is about educating them about different cultures different um ethnicities so this grant is giving a uh, San Francisco health the opportunity to educate our residents so we have it's so exciting we've had um a indigenous um uh, position come in and talk to them about health care, the way that our indigenous people, people here in um, California understand it, and the reluctancy, and um, you know, some of the past practices, as you know, on people of color that you know really steer them away from going to Victor um, to see um, about themselves and take, te- take care of themselves health-wise. Um, we also have a um, educator coming in and talking about our LGBT um, patients and how to address them. And if we have any transgender patients, how to address if they've had augmentations or not. So this um, grant has given us the opportunity to, to educate uh, um, our residents um, and not all of them say what San Ysidro House, some of them don't, but I hope that what they are learning in um, um, some of our, we have a, a, every other, every other Friday, we have an educator come in um, to educate the class. I hope they take some of this information with them um, to, to um, help them provide the best health care possible to everyone. Um, that's, you know, culturally um, sensitive and um, culturally understanding. Just for an example, I had a friend tell me she is um, Asian and um, her, she took her little boy to uh, the doctor. um, And she, um, we were talking about that. I tried, we were talking about physicians and making sure that you know, um, especially working with people of color, um, you know, you, we want our physicians to, you know, look like our patients, speak their language. Um, and we were on that subject. And she told me that, you know, she, she thought that was a great idea, but um, her pediatrician was just someone that was available at the time. And so she took her son um, there for just a regular checkup, and she, the physician told her, now she is of Asian descent, so is her husband, so they, um, uh, for them, they are of small stature, um, and so are the grandparents on both sides. So when they went to the pediatrician and he told them that your son is, you know, um, behind in growth, he's too little, you know, these are the standards that he should be hitting. And they were all worried. But then, you know, um, they came home, she told her husband and grandparents, and then they started talking. They're like, well, you know, these, whose standards are we trying to meet? Are are these standards that are, you know, culturally for Mm -hmm. our culture? Mm -hmm. Or are they for just general? So that made me say, you know, really, maybe if they had Um, you know, someone of their cultural background would understand that, hey, this, um, you know, your son is doing well, he's healthy. um, And, you know, um, he may not meet these general standards that we have for children, but knowing your background, your culture, your grandparents, he's, you know, well on his way to be, you know, a healthy child. Um, So that is a perfect example of, you know, making sure that even if um, the vis- the physician wasn't of the culture of the patient, that they know a little bit more about, yeah. you know,
1: API <laughs> a- yeah. It's having an open mind. Yeah, it's, it, I think right. it's just important to have an open mind and not just be so narrow-minded in terms of, okay, this is what the standard is. This is what an average chart is. I mean, I can remember when I was pregnant with Robin, like, my bump was really quite small Um, and I was like eight and nine months pregnant. So I was ready to drop, but my bump was still quite small. And so the midwife, she was of, um, she was like me, she was a black woman. Um, And Mm -hmm. I was really worried. I was like, oh, like I've, I've been measuring my bump. I went online. It doesn't say like, it looks like it's smaller than what it should be. And she literally, she said to me, she was like, stop she was like tell me how was your mum when she was pregnant and I was like oh like or she had twins and she was like that's okay tell me what was she did has she ever told you how she was and I was like yeah like she was even though she had twins like everyone said that she was she looked great and from the behind you'd never know that she was pregnant um and and yeah she carried fairly small and she was like well there you go she was like trust me I've and she measured me out and she was like you're fine she was like everyone is different she was like given that your mum was carried small I was uh, had a small frame she was like your body is doing what it's meant to do she was like everything's in order don't worry but it was like having that that doctor just to verify and just ask the additional question about my background um was it's so important and I and I feel like like in your example as well, it just goes to show that keeping an open mind, asking some more questions can really make all the difference.
0: Right. Just being culturally sensitive and culturally understanding and and do a little more research, you know, on your patients. I'm a, I mean physicians are you know, doctors are busy, but I feel like that is their role, that is their responsibility to engage with their patients in a way that the, you know, patients feel seen and heard and valued for coming in. Um, So that is one of the things that I'm most proud of that we are currently doing. So we're going, we've been documenting and uh, taking photos and um, recording so we can um, tell the story to our community that, hey, we are educating our doctors, um, you know, in in regards to diversity, equity, inclusion, the belonging, so they can, you know, the the, the, the doctors that stay with us or or even go to other communities, that they are aware of these things. They're more sensitive. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, no, for Yeah, no, definitely. It's definitely something that you should be proud of. Hopefully we'll get, you know, uh, more uh, grant money to continue the program. But it's been so successful that we are our head physicians that's overseeing this has put it in their budgets to continue. So I think we're on our way to at least um, we understanding that they don't get this education in medical school. So uh, and. and you know, making sure that they uh, understand the communities in which they are going to serve uh, in, in the best way possible.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, totally. And that sounds amazing. i I'm, I'm, I'm got my uh, fingers crossed for you <laughs> for more for more <laughs> to come through but yeah i think it's ever so important to, to really educate and um be able to provide a, an even better service for for everyone that comes through your doors who um who need it um so right. Marsha, what we know that there's a lot to do with dei like we've we've talked a lot about different programs initiatives that 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 are working um but The other part of that is there's a lot to do and it's a lot to do for one person leading the way, right? So how do you manage everything? How do you stay on top and continue to keep your well-being um, at the forefront to ensure that you
0: don't kind of avoid that burnout? Yeah, burnout is real. Um, I have been called the bridge builder because I engage everyone diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, it's just not my responsibility in the organization, but it is um, everyone's responsibility. Um, And so when things come up, when uh, initiatives and um, events, those type of things come up, I engage lots of different departments. Um, Those that you wouldn't think of, like the IT department, um, they're all, you know, they're IT. So they just make sure your, you know, your technology is working fine. But making sure that they are at the table so they can recommend, you know, d- data analytic tools that can help um, uh, establish, you know, baselines or um, for our you know, demographics that we capture. So engaging them in those conversations because they may understand a better way to capture that information that something some kind of a program that we already have or we can or we can get um, so engaging IT also engaging um, accounting um, how does you know accounting you know um, help with diversity equity inclusion and belonging and my thoughts are hey I want to I want to make sure they understand the the programs that we are doing and why we are doing it. So then they can be my ally with the CEOs as, hey, diversity needs this much, you know, budget for this program. And this is why we think that they need, you know, this should be go through. So getting, you know, (laughs) uh, 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 building those relationships and getting them to go forth and, um, you know, allocate for you Helps me to be able to, you know, not to uh, think I have to be at every meeting, every place at one time. I, I just can't do it by myself. So, so I, I'm a bridge builder. I engage, you know, and delegate. Um, that's how I keep my sanity. <laughs>
1: mm, no, I love that. I haven't heard that bridge builder. That's that's amazing, and I totally agree. I think um, the more people that are involved, that are able to to contribute um and aid in in this important change um the better um and it's it's helpful Absolutely. for you yeah so I think it needs to be a problem not just you are solving but everyone is pitching in to solve so that's great right well Marsha I so much enjoyed our conversation today uh thank you again for for joining me for anyone who is listening how best can they connect with you
0: Sure, they can find me on LinkedIn, um, Marcia Callaway, M-A-R-C-I-A. Um, um, I think there's a M-J. guess Marcia, M-J Callaway. But please look me up there, and um, I would be happy to engage um, or help support anyone that's you know doing this work because it takes all of us everywhere. And thank you, Natasha, because um, um, for having this platform um, because this educates and informs you know lots of people that they would never be able to touch oh
1: well thanks again Marsha, and um, i wish you all the best in the future